Hey, welcome to Pastors Standing Firm. We are so excited about today's episode and what God is going to reveal to us. Man, it is so good. Today, we are interviewing Pastor Kerry Gordon, the creator and mind behind the documentary Enemies Within the Church. You can go right to the website, enemieswithinthechurch.com, and order it, view it, watch it. It is phenomenal. He exposes the work that's been happening in the church for maybe 70 years and even more of how communistic ideology has crept into the church, has come on board, that we're teaching it. It's in our seminaries, uh, woke theology and beyond. And, And he's a great man of God. I'm really excited. He pastors in Sioux City, Iowa. And I'm just so pumped for this interview to hear his perspective. Let's get to it. Without anything further, let's go directly to your interview with Pastor. We are here with Pastor Kerry Gordon, who pastors in Sioux City, Iowa, and just finished an incredible documentary, and we're going to talk all about it, um, Enemies Within the Church, and you can check it out, enemieswithinthechurch.com. Before we get into that, Pastor Kerry, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been in ministry, married, kids, your church, whatever you want to tell us. Well, thank you for having me on your show. It's a pleasure to be with you. Um, I love every opportunity to reach out to the body of Christ and be able to talk to other audiences about our movie. I think it's a really important movie everybody ought to see. I've been pastoring for 28 years. I've been in the same church since 1982. And uh, I'm 48 years old, about 49. I've got six kids, married to the same lovely lady for 26 years. I've got three boys and three girls. My oldest son is preparing for marriage. And my youngest is four years old and still gets in bed with me almost every night. (laughs) So we're staying pretty busy. We love it. My, my greatest joy in my life is being a dad, and the second greatest joy in my life is pastoring in God's church, and I love people. Otherwise, I would go make a lot more money doing something else that has a lot less stress, like selling ice cream is what I say I would like to do, where everybody would always be happy. Uh, but, yeah. uh, but as people will see when they watch the movie, um, America is in a lot of trouble. The body of Christ is in a lot of trouble. We have a lot of uh, deceitful and treacherous things going on in the modern church that absolutely has to be addressed Mm. if we're going to fulfill our our real purpose, which is to fulfill the Great Commission. That's so good. Would you just unpack what the documentary is and about? I know I've watched it. It was incredible. But would you unpack what the documentary is and what it's about, and then maybe what was the impetus to start doing it? Well, um, what's going on right now is uh, we're really at a tipping point as a nation, and there's a lot of reasons for that. We wanted to dig down in uh, American history, really not just American history, but the history of, of the West, of Western civilization. And we can all look around and say, something's terribly wrong. I mean, we have a lot of problems that we didn't used to have like this. Um, how did we get here? Yeah. And that's kind of the purpose of the movie is to answer that question. What went wrong? And how did we end up in this giant mess that we're in now? And when I say giant mess, um, I mean, seven, maybe 6% of the population of the United States of America has a biblical worldview. 
Yeah. Why did the church allow that to happen? What did they do? What decisions did they make? Did they do that consciously? Did they do it unconsciously? Did they make uh, mistakes and errors in judgment? Are they accepting wrong doctrine? I mean, there's got to be a cause. Jesus said, judge things by their fruit. So let's look at the fruit of the American church. The fruit of the American church is horrible. Mm-hmm. When you only have 6% of your population that has a biblical worldview, you understand they have no knowledge of what the scripture says. And I'm talking about people that go to church every week don't know what the Bible says. They're not being taught. Why aren't they being taught? What's happening? So we wanted to answer those questions. We boiled everything down in history to three enormous decisions, three beliefs that are at the very root of our destruction Mm as Western civilization. Because we believe that unless and until we identify those three things that have caused America to lose its freedom and frankly, to lose its knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, to stray from the real authentic gospel of the Bible and to go off into what I think is best called neo-Gnosticism, I think much Mm. of what we describe as American Christianity is not Christianity at all. It is neo-Gnosticism. And um, so we get to the root of these three things because until we identify them, how do we fix them? And unless we fix them, we're doomed. There is no saving the United States of America uh, from a political standpoint, from a natural standpoint, and tongue-in-cheek from a spiritual standpoint. People can't get born again unless they hear the real gospel preached. So the movie boils it down. What happened to us? We think we nailed it. We give the three causes. It's a call to repentance. It's a call to rethink American Christianity. It's an appeal to pastors all over the world. Think about what you're doing. You're doing what you were taught to do, but why did they teach you to do this? Why are we having church the way that we have church now? What's going on? And uh, to really get uh, American people to be introspective, Um, to sum it up, there is a false gospel. And I think it's really easy to say it this way. You might hear it called wokeism. Are you woke? Or the social justice gospel is another term that's used. And it is pervasive. It's in almost all the seminaries in the United States, all the Bible colleges, we're, we're raising up young people in our churches and sending them off to seminary or to Bible college because they say, I believe God's called me to be a pastor or I want to be a missionary. I'm called to, to do the work of the Lord. And they're excited about Jesus because they've been taught pretty good in their home church. You send them out to seminary to get them the education that they uh, are expected to get if they're going to become a pastor. And something terrible happens because this false gospel has permeated the professors. Um, we show in the movie with, with hard evidence that it's, it's pervasive. It's overwhelming. There are no denominations who have not already been impacted by this teaching. It's devious and terrible. And um, essentially, it boils down to this. The real gospel, we tell people, Jesus Christ was the greatest victim in the history of the world. He was innocent and he was put on a cross and murdered on account of your sins. Therefore, Jesus is the greatest victim and you are the villain in all of history. Your sins contributed to the murder of the son of God and you owe Father God a huge apology. You (laughs) must repent 
and be born again. That's the essential message of the gospel. Sin is the problem. Your sin killed God's son. You have to repent and you can be forgiven. And there's a glorious salvation waiting for you after you repent. And so, but this false gospel, what does it do? It teaches everyone that they are the greatest victim in the world and everyone should repent to them. Uh, maybe because of their economic status or because of their racial status. Uh, and so this false gospel, this social justice gospel, is a total 180 degrees inversion of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The worst part of it is if you fall into this ditch of the social justice gospel, which finds its way into seminaries under the title critical race theory, you can never be forgiven. You have white privilege. You're a racist even if you don't have racist thoughts and have never done a racist act. You're a racist because you were born with white skin. And so it's inverted racism and it's found its way into all the seminaries and it's tearing families apart. It's destroying churches. It's um, derailing the real gospel of Jesus Christ. And if it is not addressed very clearly as we do in the film, and, and if churches don't wake up and parents don't wake up and pastors don't wake up, uh, in a matter of five to 10 years, you will find it almost impossible to find one church left in the United States that actually preaches the actual gospel in the Bible. Man, that is so good, Pastor Kerry. I am appreciating it so much. One of the things I've said in recent podcasts I've unpacked here, I don't know if you've ever heard, um, Tommy Barnett wrote kind of a memoirs book called What If, and about his yeah. memoirs. I mean, have you had a chance to read that? I haven't read it, but I love Tommy Barnett, and I've admired him for many years. I did meet him one time. He said in there, and he unpacks the different moves of God, he said in his lifetime, and the charismatic renewal and the Jesus movement. and, the, and the, But the last one he said was the relevant movement, and he said he'd even been a part of it, that it was caused by God. It was good because we cleaned up the parking lots. You know, we preached messages that people understood and, and languages, and, 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 and the music got a little better, <laughs> not as traditional. Yeah. People engaged in worship more. But these are his words. But I believe that movement is over because it became a washed in political correctness. And I, I believe that's happened in the last 10 or 15 years. It just consumed the church, right? We have magazines, literally relevant magazines and stuff. We've, we have podcasts yes. on it. But it's almost as if, you know, we move from adapting to adopting, right? We, yes. we changed our mindset. Um, we, instead of contextualizing we became the context and, yes. and when we're letting them lead and and we believe that somehow god is in this mindset we are in chicagoland some of the names you name in the documentary i've watched as communism has crept itself in can you speak to that a lot of people would say well those are just political systems that has nothing to do with us we don't need to be involved in that um, and again, I would, I would argue that's still a contextualized response. You're still, you're not thinking biblically. You're not thinking gospel-centric. What would your response be to say, this is how communism has crept in, and this is what we need to do? Well, a better term maybe to use is statism. Statism is the idea that the government gives permission for the individual human to exist. Wow. 
And that's that's statism in a nutshell. And you have to think about what are the consequences of that belief? Well, abortion, the state gives permission for the individual to exist. The Holocaust in World War II, the state gives permission for the individual to exist. What's happening now with rationing healthcare in the United States and doctors routinely in a, in a mad rush are turning off breathing machines unnecessarily and literally killing people with COVID that would probably survive if they got better care. The state gives permission for the individual to exist. But the consequences of statism are deadly, literally. The state can kill you and it's legal, it's fine. And uh, we have a massive movement in the United States of passive euthanasia. It's in almost every hospital in the United States. I could tell you stories in uh, recent months where I had to withstand doctors in a hospital and say, no, we appreciate what you've done. Thank you for the care you've given this patient. Continue giving it to them. You will not turn their machine off. We do not believe it's time for them to die. We believe they can recover. I had a doctor look at me in the face uh, just this past Christmas, and he said, it is medically impossible for this woman to live to Christmas day. And this is about three or four days before Christmas. And, and I said, so you don't believe in miracles? He said, no, I believe in miracles. I just have only seen one in my entire life. I said, well, prepare yourself to see a second. <laughs> and so we had to get attorneys involved to keep the breathing machine on, on a, a, a sweet little lady in our church. And her family fought tooth and nail to keep her alive. The hospital wanted to kill her. And uh, of course, she's alive. We went out to lunch the other day. So uh, I've had to withstand hospitals. Why? Statism. Government gives permission for the individual to exist. This is a damnable way of thinking. It's evil. It's satanic. It is the spirit of Antichrist manifest, uh, I believe, in the thinking of the United States. The overwhelming majority of Republicans are statists. The overwhelming, clearly, the majority of Democrats are statists. Statism has overwhelmed the American thinking. Well, what? So, what does the Bible teach? Well, the Bible teaches really the exact opposite. When you go to Moses and you look at how he divided the Hebrew government, first, he had the top-down theocracy um, of the priesthood. No question about that. It was an Episcopal form of government. But uh, the actual civil authorities, you know, you know, how do we deal with um, dealing with someone who wants to sell a, a bushel of corn and, and how much should they pay? And did they keep their business contract? And what do we do with sewage and things like that? And how do we enforce the law? What if somebody gets killed and we have to arrest somebody? Those kind of questions were solved by the Hebrew civil authority. And it was decentralized. Exodus 18, 21, choose out from among you men who fear God, who are able to do the job set before them, who um, the fear God, able to do the job, are not motivated by covetousness or dirty money. You can't bribe them. And they're known for telling the truth. Those four elements, those are the kind of men. Um, it was Jethro saying to Moses, decentralize. You can't judge every case in all of Israel with millions of people. They'll kill you. You'll never get any rest. Choose other men and let them be captains of 50 and 100 and 1,000. So this is where the the democratic republican principles bottom up came from so you have statism the state gives permission for the individual to exist and then you have the lesson we learn from god and the story of moses and the formation of the jewish republic that actually it's the individual sacredly created human 
who gives permission for the government to exist. Yeah. Now, this is a very different philosophy, and that's actually the philosophy of our founding era. Uh, that was what our founding fathers believed. That's what the Constitution was established to protect. Government is established by who? The people. For what purpose? Protecting our God-given inalienable rights. Americans don't comprehend it anymore, and even if they do comprehend it, they oppose it. And statism, ultimately, if you're intellectually consistent, always ends in a totalitarian form of totalitarian form of communism. So, how did communism get into the United States? Well, the the simple answer is Americans started agreeing with it. Yeah, yeah. I've even heard um, from other pastors who've known. Um, pastors who fled, you know, communist Poland, communist Russia, um, yes. East Germany, uh, w- when there was when there was such a thing, that they said they've been sending communist quote unquote missionaries for seventy years to yes, be absolutely. teachers, pastors, leaders. Can you speak to that? Yes, the redistribution of wealth is the primary economic modus operandi of the communist statist government gives permission for you to exist thinking. And so what they've done within the church is they've said, hey, Jesus said we were to care for the poor. Jesus said we should care about the downtrodden and and the poor and and the people who aren't treated well. And and the Bible talks about helping um, people that are less fortunate than you. And of course, it talks about all those things. And so they exploit our better angels and our desire to, to love people and to help people. But the problem is they want to use the, the state as the tool of wealth redistribution. Well, here's what wealth redistribution is. It's theft. And so tonight, if I decided I, I, I don't like that my neighbor has nicer things than me, and I know that they probably have a safe in their basement, and they've been storing up all kinds of valuable things, I'm going to go take it. So if I went and put on a, a mask, went to my neighbor's house next door, pried open their door with a crowbar and went down and found their safe in the middle of the night. And I pry the safe open and steal all their gold and silver collection that they've got in there. The state would come, if they caught me, they would arrest me and they would punish me. Why? Because God's law says thou shalt not steal. Well, here's what the communists have learned that they can do. Um, And the statists in America agree with them. This is the problem. They learned, hey, I can go to my neighbor's house and take away their wealth and avoid getting arrested and avoid wearing that ugly orange suit and having that unfavorable picture on Facebook. I can get all of this done if I convert the state who's supposed to arrest me into the agent of my theft. And instead of prying open my neighbor's wallet or, or safe with a crowbar, I pry open my neighbor's wallets and safes with a ballot when I go vote for the guy who says, I'm going to tax everybody more and give you more money. And that's what they've done. So when God gave the world government, and it's a gift from him, he gave government to punish theft. But statist thinking has converted the United States government into a giant instrument of theft. And if you don't give them the amount they want, they will put you in prison and they will use force to take it. So our government, because of our thinking as American people and because ministers haven't done a good enough job to preach what the Bible says about economics, 
about tithing, about taxation, and worldview issues that almost no one knows anymore because the pastors won't address it in their pulpits because they want to keep everybody happy and comfortable and entertained. This is the consequence. Now, our taxes are horrendous. We're printing money at a rate that's terrifying. The interest came out, and this is just what they're admitting to. Of course, they're lying, but they're saying that the, the interest is at 7.5%, and I know that's not true. I've listened to billionaires say, no, it's more like 15, and then they'll tell you why they're dishonest and show you how they manipulate the math. Well, let's just pretend that the government told us the truth a few days ago when they came out and said our interest rate is 7.5%. Here's what that means. It means that if they just are able to freeze the interest right where it is, which they can't, but if they could, if they could just stop it from getting worse, right? In nine years, your money will only buy half of what it can buy right now. So unless your income, this is what it means, nine years from now, unless your income doubles, to keep up with inflation, if it used to cost you $300 to go buy groceries for the week, it's going to cost $600 in nine years. I mean, this is going to destroy the American economy. Why is all of this happening? It's because of statist thinking, the inefficiency of turning the government into an instrument of theft where you overtax everyone, take their money disproportionately from the church. You ask for twice or three times as much as God himself when he says to tithe and give 10%, because the government wants to be God and replace God and be your end all, meet all. Um, when that happens, and then you have money printing and fiat currency like we do, the dollar gets worth less and less and less. These are consequences of statist thinking. The government gives permission for the individual to exist when the scriptures clearly teach the opposite, that the individual sacredly created, made in the image of God, the individual person gives permission for the government to exist. If you get caught with a Bible in North Korea where statism is supreme, you get caught with a Bible, Kim Jong-un in 2013 took all kinds of Christians out into stadiums and made about, uh, there were arenas that were filled with about 50,000 spectators. And he shot these people with machine guns, public executions, because they had a Bible. Why does Kim Jong-un fear the Bible? Because Kim Jong-un is a statist and his people read the Bible and they know the Bible will upend everything he believes in his philosophy of communist government. And the Bible cannot be tolerated in a nation that wishes to be statist. Think of the contradiction. Here we are in the United States of America founded on biblical principles that were anti-statist and the vast majority of the American public, regardless of party, Republican or Democrat, they are statist. I'm, I'm going to say this, this will upset some of your listeners and you can get into lesser evilism, but it's just the truth. Donald Trump was a statist. He was just not as aggressive of a statist as the Democrat, but this is the reality. Almost every president that we've elected in my lifetime maybe with the exception of Ronald Reagan, has on some level been a statist. Even George W. Bush was a statist. So statism is the issue. Mm. The church enables it and agrees with it. <laughs> well, the, and that's there's my question I think I want to uh, ask next. From your vantage point as pastors, as leaders, 
our higher institutions, even in Christendom, uh, yeah. our churches, uh, us as people, we have so bought into this idea that, you know, we stay out of politics, and if they say it, it's probably fine unless it's a blatantly direct black and white contradiction. And even then, maybe we'll try and figure out how to navigate it. How yeah. do we say to our, our leaders, our churches, our institutions, this is here, it's penetrated our theology, uh, we're, yes. we're applying it to our lives, how do we undo that? Well, you have to take a stand on principle, even if it means that you go to jail. And that's essentially what I had to do. Um, there's probably no clearer a demonstration of statism than what happened for the last couple of years in the United States with a pandemic or so-called pandemic, the COVID-19, that they literally took the First Amendment and threw it out the window. I mean, you actually had a ruling from the Supreme Court um, there was a battle in California in particular where the, the state that gives permission for the individual to exist said to the church, you can't have church, close your doors and do what we say. That is not legal, lawful or constitutional in any modicum of any basic eighth grade understanding of American government. I don't care how many governors agreed with it. It's illegal, unlawful. And if you side with it, because you say Romans 13, I want to tell all the pastors listening, and I don't care if it offends, I'm letting you know, you took sides with Absalom, who was undermining King David. That's what you did, because in the United States, we do have a king. It's called the Constitution. The Constitution is the supreme law of our land. Right. And you had governors, Absalom's underlings beneath the authority of that Constitution, undermining the king and you took part in something with absalom you joined with him by misquoting romans 13 what we have to do is stand up i called my governor immediately i did social media i went public i said you don't have the constitutional authority to close any church in the state of iowa where did you come up with this and it's a republican governor by the way mm. and i refused to close our church we continued having church we went out into our parking lot I, I had to preach for three consecutive Sundays under the direct threat of being arrested and taken wow. to jail in the United States because I said, no, what the Bible says is what we do. How do we deal with pandemics? Well, people are so ignorant of the Bible. They don't understand that biblical law gives clear instructions on how to handle a pandemic. Mm. And so we followed the Bible with the pandemic. Everybody was fine. Hardly anybody got sick. You know, so um, you have to take a stand when you have the government telling you not only you can't speak, you can't gather, you can't have church. You have got yourself into a statist disaster and communism is rapping on the door. This is what's happening. Your freedoms are being deleted and they exploit you with fear of getting. You know, this is what I said. There, there was a ruling of the Supreme Court specifically reviewing, I believe it was the state of California. And one of the justices wrote down, hey, if, if we didn't suspend the First Amendment temporarily, it could be the end of us all. So you actually had judges say, well, we're not going to follow the Constitution temporarily because this disease is too dangerous. Well, it didn't turn out that it was very dangerous really at all. It, only about one percent of the people that got it died very comparable to the flu 
you'll notice we've never re didn't, done mandates and told people to wear masks and close their churches over the flu. So there's a huge contradiction intellectually. I mean, if you're going to go on uh, the basis of uh, the kill rate of the flu, we can never take a mask off for the rest of our lives. If yeah. that's going to be the standard. Well, we does that do, make any sense? It does. It does. And it, we definitely treated this as if it was the plague, but the math that I believe so many evangelical leaders especially never did is at no point in history did the world shut down like this, even for the plague. And no, we didn't, we didn't criticize George Mueller for staying open during the pandemic that he experienced. Um, maybe he yeah. faced some criticism at the time, but as history has played out, he's, he's, he's a hero of the faith. Exactly. And, but we have, you know, the David French's and others that we have created this idea that somehow anybody who disagrees with the government um, is now a conspiracy theorist, is oh, now yeah, out in left field. Hat. Right. You're you're yeah. you're often you're often la la land. You are a weird. You are a supremacist. You're a nationalist. You're a fill yeah. in the blank. And as one friend said to me, that's that's actually manipulation as a way to silence your voice. Um, it is in an even biblical perspective. It's bullying. They bully it. They bully and slander and ridicule because they're afraid of the truth. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And we've let the other side of the aisle do it for a very long time. Right. We've let yes. them say to, you know, whatever church, well, you should address this about racism. And I think in humility, we received that word for a great deal of time, but now it, it feels like the pendulum has swung the other way. And uh -huh. when we want to speak to an issue, you need to be silent. Right. Well, and the first amendment says that the government is not allowed to do that. It's not allowed to deny you a, a, a right to gather on property. They're, they're, they're not to prohibit your ability to speak. And it, they just willy nilly stepped right over top of the authority of the constitution. They desecrated it. Our founding fathers were spinning in their graves. There is no clause in the United States constitution that says, um, you know, here's the purpose and the, the limits of government. These are all the things they are not allowed to do unless there's germs. If there's germs, well, then the government can just do what it wants. There is nothing in there that says that. So if you're a minister with integrity and you understand Romans 13, you understand your duty is to uphold the Constitution of the United States with integrity and to resist Absalom from undermining the king. That was what we should have been doing. Here's the worst part of it from a pastoral standpoint. I have a heart for people. I want them to get born again. I want people to know Jesus like I do, you know. And I, I went to get my oil changed in the middle of that, the first month of that pandemic hitting the United States. And people were just terrified. And I was sitting in the waiting room listening to all these random strangers and they were saying things like you know god's mad at us this is happening because we've we've offended god as a nation and we got to get back to god i'm just sitting there they don't know that i'm a minister i'm just listening to this chatter among these random strangers and you can kind of tell none of these people go to church and they're all agreeing yep that's what it is they're just terrified we had an opportunity to probably have a third great awakening we could have had people pouring into our churches saying, God, have mercy on us, because they were afraid. We had people's mm. 
attention for a few minutes. The stadiums were shut down. The movie theaters were shut down. All these vices that Satan uses to entertain people until they die so that they end up going to hell were taken away from them. And they were thinking about their life and how short it is and that they could die. And are they ready to die? And we had a great opportunity to reach the lost. And the pastors surrendered to a satanic movement and did not bring those people in and preach the gospel like they should have done. There's something worse than getting a germ and wheezing, maybe dying. It's called going to hell. And the church's mission is to save people from hell, not to be so worried about germs that we won't even preach anymore. And we missed a massive opportunity during COVID-19. We really did. And it does come down to something as simple as the gospel is white. When souls make disciples, you know, that is the mission yes. of the gospel. We shut do down. do we believe in a Jesus that heals anymore? We're, we're more afraid of germs than we are God. That's absolutely right. I, I totally agree. We, we shut down church. Now we are, we're still a portable church. I planted about six years ago. And uh, and we met in Bless schools. You. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're trying to build a building. Uh, God, will, uh, we need the money. We're we're working on it. God will provide. But I've been there, man. I'm <laughs> with you. God bless you and help you. Thank you. But we met in schools, and once COVID hit, schools were a no fly zone. Yes. And I think for a lot of people, we're in, we're in Chicagoland, very heavily populated, and of yes. course hard left. Now we're in a oh. suburb that our 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 mayor's our mayor kept the town quite a bit more free, and uh, and and he's a, he's a good man. But we were able to gather eventually. But for three months we had to go to video because we had nowhere else to go. Right. And yeah, that happened to a lot of my friends. Same thing. They they've got young churches that they just pioneered four or five years ago. They're in storefronts, so they don't own the property and they don't have control of the property. Uh, I know one wonderful church, they were meeting in the public library, so they had no alternatives. They were forced out of their buildings, and it really just, it helps you realize even further how serious statism is. I mean, we get pushed around by pagans. Mm -hmm. We end up getting pushed around by them, and they don't, in, our, in my state, let me give this example, because I want people to understand, it's not just, it was not really about health. There was incredible hypocrisy Absolutely. in what happened with the abuse of government, telling churches to close. Like, for example, my church was ordered to close, but on the way to church the first Sunday when they ordered our church to close, Menards, which is a lumber company, was open. The parking lot was jam full. I would say three to 400 cars. You know, there's hundreds of people milling around inside that building. They have a filthy bathroom. No one's wearing a mask. And, and they're just going on with their lives. The grocery stores are jam-packed. The lumber company, they didn't close arcades. They didn't close arcades, like video games where kids could go play. They didn't close the arcades. They didn't close any of the booze shops where you can go get beer and wine. You could go in there, fine. They're open on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. In fact, she waited our governor waited three weeks after she ordered churches closed. She finally said, you know, we probably should close bowling alleys now. And, and it was all based on the, on the term non-essential. So the government just said the most non-essential thing in our entire society are churches, close them first. And then later 
you know, bowling alleys, they're pretty important. We should think about, I don't want to close those too quickly. I mean, this is, this is how awful the abuse was from the state. And it is not a testimony to the fruitfulness and success of the Western American church. Yeah, that's so good. I appreciate it, Pastor Kerry. So in this moment that we are facing these questions of really, you have to decide, am I going to follow Christ or culture? We've tried to navigate for so long to do both. Yeah. I don't think it was... I don't, I, I don't, I want to believe the best of the body of Christ that we started with an intention 15, 20, 25 years ago, maybe 30 even, to yes. say, let's contextualize a little bit better. Uh, let's relate sure. to our culture a little bit more to win souls and make disciples. Uh, I want to believe a, a Willow Creek and, and others started with the intentions of, we really want to win the lost. And, and the mainline denominations have left it so what can we do but fast forward to now so few evangelical leaders are even recognizing and i would argue some just want to hold under their power and their positions uh they don't want to lose favor with culture but we have so many now who are not taking a stand or are afraid to because of the cost they don't want to lose people in their church they don't want to lose people they don't want to lose favor in their city uh, they don't want to be blamed or labeled as a, you're right, this group. How do we say, but the master? How do we say, but Jesus, who's our first love? Well, that's a really good point. And you're, you're exactly correct that I think the vast majority of our great errors in the Western church across the last 70 to 80 years I would suggest, let's just be really generous and say 99% of the mistakes we've made, we had wonderful motives. And it's really true. I have never met a, I know a lot of pastors. I've been doing this a long time. My my grandfather was a pastor for 60 years. Mm. Uh, My dad was a pastor for 50 years. I've been a pastor for 28 years. I know a lot of pastors and I've, I've been doing this a very long time, and I I, I love pastors. Um, I understand what they go through. I understand the difficulties that people face, and it is a really difficult job. And I think the real root of the issue is we've got to understand what is it that really causes men to be born again? Wow. Now, most evangelicals cannot answer that. They will say being really nice and loving and being attractive and being relevant, that's the secret. That's what causes people to be born again. That is not what the Bible teaches us. Not at all. Making people comfortable, making them like you, making them think wonderful thoughts about you is literally has nothing to do with whether or not the people in your community will ever come to Jesus Christ and be saved. Now, you could certainly make the argument that if you dress like a crazy vagabond and you smell terrible and and you, you have an awful personality, that's not going to help bring anybody to Jesus. I mean, we kind of understand that generally, but we've got to get back to answering the question, well, what is being born again? Well, it's completely supernatural. Mm. It's completely supernatural. And I think that we've turned this thing in, in our minds 
into something that's just flesh. And we think by looking really cool, by being really hip, by being super relevant, by lowering every standard we can possibly lower as low as possible without offending some clear passage of scripture, that's the secret to getting people saved. I would say that that kind of thinking, we have never had a method of evangelism that is a greater and more abysmal failure than the wow. relevant movement. And all you have to do is look at mathematical statistics. Just to see prove the numbers. It. The vast majority of Americans are not born again. They do not have a biblical worldview. They are not getting saved by the billions in this world using that method. What does the Bible actually tell us is the most powerful tool we could ever wield to cause an unsaved pagan, who the Bible says, by the way, has a bad mind. It's an unrenewed mind. It doesn't make good judgments. So when you're trying to appeal and be relevant to people that the Bible says have bad minds and can't make good decisions, don't know left from right, up from down, think bad things are good and good things are bad. Do you realize to get them to think favorably of you would require you to be wicked? Mm. So the Bible teaches that those kinds of people will always not like us. They will never want to be like us. They're convicted by us. But what's the tool that the Bible says we're to use? The law is the schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. The preaching against sin, the understanding that you're in trouble, God is coming, you've committed sins, you must turn from them. You must repent from your sins. This is the message that they need to hear. They don't need us to be relevant, hip, and cool. They need to know they're in trouble. And that's what the Bible says to preach. The book of Acts says that we are to declare to the whole world, you must repent. That's mm. what we're, repent of what? Repent of sins. So the law helps us identify our own sinfulness. This is the kind of sermon that does not make you feel good. It makes yeah. you feel terrible. Yeah. It causes something called conviction. Yeah. You have to repent. You think, oh my word, I've sinned against God. Maybe tears come. This is not a happy sermon, but that's what mm. Americans need. They need to be preached. Uh, they need to understand with clear preaching where they've gone wrong, what they've done to offend God, what they need to repent for mm -hmm. so that they can be saved and forgiven yeah. of all those things. And then experience the incredible joy of the love of God. But what we've done is we only talk about God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. And we almost refuse to talk against sin and to confront people because we don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. So I think the root of this is philosophical. It's doctrinal. It's theological. We have ceased to believe in the tool that the Bible gave us to get people saved through successful evangelism. We, we almost refuse to use the law to convict anyone. Mm. As a consequence, almost no one's getting saved. The church is yeah. dwindling in both authority, power, and influence. And we insist, well, we have to be more relevant now. We just keep going down this wrong-headed way of dressing down, talking down, uh, simplifying, making no standards at all. We want people to be comfortable when they come to church when really they need to be uncomfortable. Right. They need to feel the holiness of God. The, the, when they go to the, the church, it should it should feel like I'm unworthy to be here because God is great and I'm not. Those are wonderful thoughts. 
that God can use, the Holy Spirit uses those to draw them actually to him. Mm-hmm. So the thing that draws men to God mm-hmm. is conviction of sin. Yeah. And I and I say, forgive me, and I come toward God. Yeah. We've lost a sense of just these basic things. And yeah. I think that's that's where, I think you're exactly right. Yes, the movement, uh, the relevant movement started out with better angels. They wanted to do good things. They cared about people. They want people to just come to church. And they were trying to get them there. And there, there's nothing wrong with desiring that. But it's turned into neo-Gnosticism. That's what's happened. Wow. Well, with that, I probably need to let you get back to uh, everyday ministry in life. But that was so good, Pastor Kerry. Thank you so much for joining us again. I want to reiterate, check out enemieswithinthechurch.com. Anything else you want to share before we go, Pastor Kerry? I just would ask that everyone give us a chance in the movie. Watch the movie. It. I get messages every day from people literally all over the world who are saying this movie has helped me so much. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. And, and, and when you watch it, don't give up. It's a heavy topic. It's, it's difficult to watch this. It's yes. really hard, but if you'll stick with it to the end of the film, I think you'll, you'll end the movie with hope, real hope from the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no one more powerful than Jesus. He is the King of the universe. He's sitting on his throne he has given us all the tools that we need to be successful. The gospel is the most powerful message in the world. Amen. There's no regime. There's no thinking. There, there's no corruption that can withstand Amen. the real preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is powerful, and we are victorious. Christ is going to return and put his enemies under his feet. There's no reason to be afraid. No Amen. reason to run in fear. Don't dig a bunker. Don't store <laughs> up your canned goods. Let's stand up for Jesus Christ and do everything we can to get people into the kingdom. Amen. That is so good, Pastor Kerry. Thank you again so much. That's right. The gospel still works. The Bible's still true, and God is still on his throne. And that's why we as pastors know to do is stand. We keep standing.